Well, good morning. Welcome to First Missionary Church. And uh, as we get started today, a few things I want to talk about. Um, if you got engaged in the last 48 hours, would you stand for a second? <laughs> All right. <laughs> You can be seated now, but that's Sam Heckard and Rachel Dively, so congratulations. And Rachel, if you don't like what I just did, your future father-in-law put me up for it, so talk to him, all right? Yeah. <laughs> all right. Just congratulations to you guys. We're so happy for you. Um, a couple other things as well. Uh, I've noticed that this congregation are quite the jokesters because they've been asking me, like, Rick, you're getting installed, so next year is Ken going to come again and do, like, Rick Schwartz 2.0 and have, like, a software update or something, you know? <laughs> It's a, we'll have to get that on the calendar, we'll see. And, and then another person said, well, is there like a money back guarantee? Like, can we try you out, Rick, for like 90 days and then we'll send you back if we don't like you? That's up to you. So <laughs> um, I do want to thank Ken for being here. In fact, Ken, could you come up here just for a second? I didn't do this first service, but I'd like to pray for you. Oh, thank you. That's okay. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, oftentimes as a pastor, I mean, we have missionaries we support throughout the world. But Ken has kind of a regional, even United States view of what's going on in the missionary church and the local church. And so it's a pretty unique role, pretty unique perspective. So would you reach your hand out towards him and we'll pray for Ken and their staff as well. So Father, I thank you for Ken and his role. Thank you for his leadership and his heart for you and for churches. And Lord, I can't imagine what they face at a, at a regional level. Lord, I'm sure they know there are churches thriving and there are also churches struggling and going through some hard times. And so I pray that you'd give Ken and his staff Incredible wisdom. Lord, I even think of that verse that the Apostle Paul talked about in 2 Corinthians 11 where he's listing his uh, being beaten with rods and stoned. But then he says daily he faces anxiety for the churches. Lord, I'm sure Ken has felt those days and his staff. So I pray that you would come alongside them and, and, and just lift them up to you and, and bear those burdens with them and give them incredible wisdom to know how to navigate even tough issues in our denomination and region. And thank you too for the work you're doing, Lord, as missionaries are going forth, churches are being planted. Lord, you are helping churches get healthy. I pray that you would keep doing that amazing work. Uh, so thank you for Ken and his family and their staff. Uh, we we pray, pray for them in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to John 13, 34. We are in a series on four priorities or the importance of four things Two weeks ago, we looked at the importance of the gospel, how it's not just for unbelievers, but for believers. Last week, we looked at the importance of beholding God's glory, which really those are connected when we behold God's glory in the gospel. And today's priority is going to be pretty obvious when we read these verses. So would you stand with me if you're able for the reading of God's word? If not, that's okay. John 13, 34 and 35 Jesus is giving some last instructions to his disciples before he goes to the cross. So verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Father, I pray right now that these words, very easy to understand but difficult to apply, Lord, that you would bring these words to mind all throughout this week. Lord, may you really show us how to love one another, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So, this isn't a trick question. 
what is the third priority we're talking about? Go ahead and turn to your neighbor for a second. See if you can guess in five seconds and tell them what I'm going to be preaching on today. Go ahead. It's okay. All right. Now, can a brave soul shout out what it is? Love one another. Good shouting. Yeah. This isn't difficult. These are very famous words that Jesus gives. And today we're going to look at this in three parts. We're going to look at the importance of this command, and then the model for the command, and then the power to do it. So the importance, the model, and the power to do it. So the importance, first of all, verse 35. This command is vitally important because, first of all, Jesus says so, but look at how he says it. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, let me clarify this. Jesus is not talking about loving your enemies, although that's important. That's another passage. He's not talking about loving unbelievers, although that's important too, and loving the world. That's other passages. He's talking about loving one another. He's talking about loving fellow Christians, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. He's talking about the people that you're sitting with. So go ahead and look around real quick in this congregation. He's talking about everyone you're looking at, loving them. Even the balcony people. He's talking about you guys. I love the balcony people, by the way. Yeah, you guys rock. We love you too. Thank you. <laughs> we, are, we are one anothering right now, loving one another. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. He's talking about loving each other as a church family. So this is really remarkable that Jesus says that this is the sign that we are his disciples if we love one another. If you go on the next slide, I want you to imagine that you just did not see the last slide and didn't know this verse. If you had to fill in this blank, what would you instinctively say? By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you, what would you say? If Jesus hadn't told us what I just said, loving one another, what would we instinctively say? Some of you might say, well, the sign of being his followers is a great worship service. If we are rocking out every Sunday, whatever that means, then that's the sign we're his followers. But Jesus doesn't say that. Or if there's really good sermons, deep and rich and thick, that's not the sign either. Or maybe it's serving other people and sharing the gospel and serving the poor and sending missionaries out and planting churches. Is that the sign we're his disciples? Well, those are all good things and we should be about that. But surprisingly, Jesus says, if you what again, congregation? Love one another. That is shocking. That should be shocking to us. And this is not the only place in scripture in case we miss it. The apostle John wrote the book of John, but he also wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he reiterates this a lot. In fact, if you want a commentary on these two verses from John, just read the book of 1st John this week. 1st John 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. So in 1st John 4, 7 and 8, it says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. And then 1 John 3.10, this is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Now, before you read the rest, if you were to finish that, how might you put it? What's the difference between a child of God and a child of the devil? Is it weird stuff that those Satanists do? Or what is it? No, this is what he says. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. And then he says in verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. 
Anyone who does not love remains in death. And then lastly, chapter 2, verses 9 and 10, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the what? Darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light. So 1 John actually brings in some other images here. In John 13, it said we'll know that people will know we're his followers if we love one another. Well, John says people will know that you're in the light if you love one another. People will know that you have life. You've passed from death to life if you love one another. People will know that you're born again. You're born of God. And the sign is that you love one another. Now, just to be clear, this doesn't save us. Only Jesus saves us. But this is like the main fruit, you could say. The main fruit, the main sign that we are followers of Jesus and Christians is that we love one another. So the question is very simple as we begin here today. Are you loving one another? If I were to look at your life and follow you around for a week, which I know would get really awkward, but if I saw your life, (laughs) could I tell that you are a follower of Jesus, that you are born again, that you have passed from death to life, that you're in the light and not in darkness? Could I tell that you are one anothering really well? Or would it cause me to question and be like, you know what? I don't know if you've really trusted in Jesus. Let's go to the second part. The first part is the importance. The second part is the model for the command. And who is our model for this? Let's try again. Who is our model for this? Jesus. When in doubt, say Jesus, right? Verse 34 says it so well, a new command I give you, Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. So Jesus gives us the model for how we are to love one another as a church family. And I need your participation. Again, this is a very participatory sermon. I want you to shout out, if you had to describe Jesus's love during his ministry in a word or two, how would you describe it? What words would you use? Just shout it out. It's indescribable. That just shuts it down right there, right? We can't describe it. (laughs) But if we had to describe it, what else would we say? Yeah. (laughs) That was a good word though, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Passionate or compassionate? Probably both, compassionate and passionate. Unconditional. Unconditional. Miraculous, Miraculous, yep. Forgiving, is that what I heard? Giving, yes. Giving and forgiving, yeah. Anything else? Overwhelming. Just earlier in John 13, Jesus washed his disciples' feet. How would you describe that kind of love? Sacrificial. Sacrificial. (laughs) Humble. (laughs) Yep. We could go on forever and ever, exhaust the English language for how Jesus loved people during his ministry. If you think of that one anothering, specifically the church family, I think of even Jesus' love for his disciples. So right before these verses, Do you know what happens in John 13? Jesus reveals who's going to betray him, Judas. He takes the piece of bread, puts it in the dish and says, the one whom I give it to, this this guy's gonna betray me. And he gives it to Judas. It says Satan enters Judas and leaves and the disciples don't really understand what's going on. But amidst that, Jesus loved Judas. Or right after this passage, we see that Jesus predicts that Peter's gonna deny him, not once, not twice, but three times. And yet he loves 
Peter, he's gonna love him so much, he's gonna restore Peter and say, Peter, I want you to build my church. You're gonna preach one of the best sermons ever in Acts 2, and over 3,000 people are gonna come to Christ. That's how much he loved Peter. The kind of love that Jesus has that we are called to imitate is mind-blowing. So before we talk about how do we have the actual power to do it, I have a couple things Two things before I go into the last point. First, I've often wondered, why is this the sign of us being Jesus' followers? Of all the things that Jesus could have picked, why did he pick this sign? Well, the answer is we're not fully sure, but I think we get closer when we think about what is new about this command because he calls this a new command in verse 34. In one sense, there is nothing new about this command. If you go back to the Old Testament Leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 famously says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's very similar to what Jesus says. So this is not new in one sense, but in another sense it is new because Jesus says, as I have loved you. So in other words, what's new about this command is that this is the first time that Jesus is connecting himself to that command. Never before had such greatness and glory. I mean, the creator of the universe, he descends to our level, takes on flesh, lives among us, dies for us. Never before had the infinite, eternal son of God sacrificed his life for you and me. I mean, that is quite the coming down. That's part of what's new about this command. As Jesus has loved us, we are to do the same. But there's another part about this new command that's new. Have you ever heard of the new covenant that Jesus talked about? He talked about it when he was doing the Lord's Supper in Luke. This blood is the, this, or this cup is the new covenant in my blood. One Old Testament scholar says it like this, that Jesus' coming is the arrival of the glory of the Lord, the light of the world. It was prophesied that the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And Jesus is beginning to fulfill that through his ministry. When he lays down his life, he is bringing God's glory and light and salvation. It's the dawn of the kingdom of God. So that's another aspect that's new. It's the new covenant, the new way that God is dealing with humankind. The second thing I want to say before I go on to the last point, when you think of Jesus' love for you that we're called to imitate, Does that inspire you or does it do something else? There's probably two reactions. Sometimes it inspires us because it is amazing. But if you really think of how Jesus loved his disciples and us, I find that overwhelming. I find that crushing in a sense that I can't do that. I mean, let's face it. Look around one more time at each other because we're talking about one anothering. You can look behind you. Balcony people, you can move forward and look down, that's fine. Let's face it, if we are to love one another like Jesus did, we're to love each other in this church like Jesus did. And how many of you can honestly say, hey, I'm doing that pretty well, like Jesus? I mean, if you're here long enough in this church, chances are somebody will disappoint you. Somebody will let you down or offend you or you might do that to them. At the very least, somebody's going to annoy you because we're a church family and family has a way of annoying each other. (laughs) Let's be honest. 
I mean, even I, as your senior pastor, this is my third sermon, but I love to tell our church, be prepared to be disappointed at some point by me. How's that? Come to FMC, be disappointed. (laughs) That's our new tagline. (laughs) But that's the honest reality of loving one another, one anothering. It's hard. I mean, if you watch me preach for long enough, I do some weird stuff up here. I have weird habits and quirks, just like everyone else. It is hard to love one another well and do it to the level Jesus did. I mean, a lot of people think senior pastors can get close to that, but no, there is a huge chasm between what I can do and what Jesus can do and his love for you. I know when we celebrate marriage, we often celebrate those who've been together 20, 30, 40, 50. Even in this congregation, I think there's someone that's at least been married over 70 years. That's incredible. They've loved one another for 70 years years. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Well, the same is true in a church family. When you are part of a church family, 20, 30, 40, maybe your whole life, you have had to learn how to love one another well. I want to encourage you to pull out your bulletin insert, because at the very bottom of this sermon bulletin insert, I have some one anothering passages. Because when I say go and love one another, what does that really mean? Well, Thankfully, the New Testament has a lot of one another passages. Does anyone know how many are in the New Testament? A lot. (laughs) You know from the first service. What is it? 59. (laughs) It's a pretty pretty good amount. So here's a few. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Serve one another humbly in love. Carry each other's burdens. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Have the same mindset as Christ in your relationships with one another, bear with each other, forgive one another, encourage one another, do not slander one another, confess your sins to one another, pray for each other, offer hospitality to one another, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. I'm pretty sure if you Google all the New Testament one another passages, put that in there, you'll get a list of all 59. So can you imagine, church, if we are living out this one anothering. Can you imagine what that would look like if we are so interdependent and enmeshed, hopefully not to an annoying degree, but our lives are connected in that sort of way where we are one anothering constantly as a church family? This is why I think it's impossible to be a solo Christian. I hear people talk about all the time, well, it's just Jesus and me. You know, and I agree, yes, you have an individual relationship with Jesus, but the New Testament The vision for your New Testament Christian life is that you're in a community where you can one another. I also think this is awfully hard to do. If you only come to the worship service or once a week and then jet out real quick and don't really get to know someone, this is impossible to do. You know, I've seen a couple examples of this one anothering recently. Many of you know that Ron and Kathy Patterson had a house fire, devastating house fire, in the last couple weeks, and thankfully they're okay. But I've seen a lot of you one another them. (laughs) Cards, gift cards, stuff, help, (laughs) practical things. That's part of one anothering. Or last Sunday, if you came to the business meeting, remember the weather that night? It was icy and snowy and nasty, but the senior high, small group guys, one anothered, our senior saints, as they scraped windshields 
as they pulled up cars, hopefully not driving too fast, but pulled up cars, <laughs> helping them take stuff to their cars. That's one anothering, a very practical way. I can't share other details, but I know a lot of you help each other throughout the week with all sorts of practical things like meals, babysitting, just calling up and seeing how they're doing. I mean, that is the New Testament vision for you. God's vision for you is that you one another. Let's go to the last point. So we've looked at the importance and the model and now the power. How do we actually do this? Because Jesus is gonna repeat this a couple chapters later in his same address. It says in John 15, 12 and 13, it says, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. There it is again. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Thankfully, Jesus starts to give us the power to do it right before. He says in verse nine, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now say this with me. Now remain in my love. You see, Jesus is starting to give us the secret. This is how we love one another. We remain in Jesus's love. And then if you back up a little more, one of the best images of this, where Jesus says in John 15, five, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Now let's read this part together. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot love one another apart from Jesus. And so the secret, the secret sauce, if you will, to actually love one another is that you have to stay connected to Jesus all the time. So it's not just imitation of Jesus, but it's, but it's connection to Jesus. It's not just imitating what Jesus did, and that can be crushing, but it's, but it's participation in who Jesus is, in relationship with him every single day. It's abiding in him. That's, that's the way some translations say it. It's knowing Jesus so well every single day. I remember I heard one pastor talk about this passage in this. He said, it's not like Jesus the vine cuts us the branch off and then kicks us out into the world and says, go love. And we lie there helplessly on the ground. No. He says, stay in me, stay connected to me, you know, experiencing my nourishing sap and love as a branch would from the vine. And if you do that, you will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. You cannot one another apart from Jesus. Over the last couple sermons, I've given some hints on how to do this. How do you actually stay connected to Jesus? One is to preach the gospel to yourself daily. That is to meditate and dwell on what God has done for you in Christ. And I'll give one more plug for this book, A Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent in the book nook. And it actually gives us very specific ways how to do that. How do we actually preach the gospel to ourselves? Another way that I mentioned last week is to behold the glory of God we do that in the gospel, but we also do that in very practical ways like looking at creation, reading God's word, praying, getting together so that you can study God's word together. So I want you to do one more thing as we close today, and Mike, you can come forward. I want you to look around one more time. Nobody's ever going to sit in the front anymore because they have to look back, but look around one more time at the congregation. As we close in prayer today, I want you to pick one face, one person out of this crowd right here. And I want you to pray for them as we have a time of silence. Even if you don't know them, say, I want to pray for that person with the green sweater. That's one thing I want you to do. The second thing I want you to do 
to start to think about, ask God, how can I one another this week? Maybe it's as simple as, hey, I need to take a step back and just focus on my relationship with Jesus because as I'm connected to the vine, he sends me out. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's a very specific way, something you've been putting off. It doesn't have to be a big way. It can be, it's often the little things that make all the difference in the world. A note, a phone call, a visit, a meal. So go ahead and close your eyes, bow your heads, pray for that person and start to ask God, how can I one another this week with this church family? Father, I pray that in this moment, Lord, you would help our congregation to live out these one another passages. Lord, I'm reminded of Acts 2, where the early church was one anothering so well that the world took notice and you added to their number daily those who were being saved. Father, I remember in John 17, where Jesus prayed that we would be one and that the world will know that you're in us by our unity, by our one anothering. Father, I pray that this week there would be some very practical ways to one another. And I, Father, I also pray too that we would stay connected to the vine, that we would enjoy just being with Jesus. Lord, that we would participate in our relationship with Jesus and you will send us out to do these things. Father, may we be a congregation that one another so well to the glory of God. And all God's people said, amen. Well, go and one another well. You are dismissed. <laughs>